Good morning, Affirmation. It's a privilege to be with you. If you would open your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and as we read the whole chapter, uh, we will attempt to cover the whole chapter uh, this morning. Admittedly, there's a lot of meat here in, uh, in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. As we, as we look back across it this morning, specifically, I want to consider this theme, what we have and how we should respond, what we have and how we should respond. And um, we will uh, dwell primarily in the first um, 14 verses, looking at, at what we have. And, um, and then I think we see the, the response primarily in the, the last um, nine verses in 15 through, through 23. Uh, as it's, it's interesting as a, as a visiting pastor in, in trying to, uh, figure out what, what you're, you're preaching, what God would have you to, to speak. Uh, sometimes I go into situations where I have, I have no idea what's ordinarily coming from the pulpit. Uh, I'm grateful to know that here the word of God is regularly opened and taught. So, uh, pardon me if, if, uh, if I, uh, regress and, and remind you of things like, you know, we want to work through uh, whole chapters and whole books and, and take scripture in its, in its context. While that's uh, second nature to you, it's not uh, to, to, uh, for better, for worse, uh, usually for worse for many of our churches out there. Um, it's, it's interesting, the description uh, given of, of the overview of Romans earlier. Uh, I think Ephesians follows a similar pattern that it's about uh, half three chapters of, of gospel, roughly, uh, or of theology, and, uh, and then three chapters of, of Christian living or, or living in, in unity. Uh, many of you are familiar, very familiar with, with chapter six of, of Ephesians and the, the armor of God uh, and kind of that, that application. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of therefores in this letter to the, the church. And, um, you know, even beginning here in, in the, the first few verses, who was it written to? It was written to the saints. Who are the saints? Uh, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And uh, I will step out on faith that we're among some saints this, this morning here as we uh, open Paul's letter a couple thousand years later. And then I think verse three gives us kind of the, the title of, uh, of the first half of, of this chapter anyway, when he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I said, generally, I wanted to think about what we have and how we should respond. But the first part that I'd like us to think in, in terms of what we have is to know that we have every spiritual blessing. We have every spiritual blessing. And that can, that can sound like church speak. What does that even mean to have every spiritual blessing? But um, I don't think that we're left guessing in this chapter. In fact, we've got a, we've got a great list here um, of and, and I'm always mindful that you could go unpack this yourself this week and you could perhaps come up with a different list. That's fair game. Okay. So these are the seven that I felt led to, uh, to take that, uh, and, and I'll go back through them one by one, but just an overview that we're chosen, we're adopted, uh, we're predestined, we're redeemed. We've been given knowledge and inheritance and perhaps most of all, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so if I were if I were coming up with what he means by every spiritual blessing, I, those are seven things that I see in this chapter that we we should consider. So again, verse three: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What a, what a miracle to have been uh, chosen and, and, and not just chosen to be a part of the team or, or whatever, but chosen to be holy and blameless. That's, that's a, big, a big thing to be brought into. And, and not just uh, a whim or a spur of the moment choice, but before the foundation of the world. And, and there can be some confusion over this as to what were we chosen out of, or, or there's some discussion as to what was our part in, in being chosen. And, and you need only scan across the, the page in this very letter. Uh, certainly we could chase it down in, in other places. Colossians chapter two, coincidentally, like, like Ephesians chapter two. But Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I think sometimes there's a temptation, maybe even more so as we get deeper in our faith and, and perhaps uh, we, we get uh, puffed up a bit, which the scripture warns against, even in, in uh, Romans 12 that we looked at earlier. To, uh, to think that, well, yes, God chose me before the foundations of the earth, but I was that kid raising his hand in the back of the class hoping to be chosen. Of course, we, we know that's not true, <laughs> but, but let's be reminded in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses. Uh, we, know, we know lots of things about dead people. Dead men tell no tales, right? Because dead people do nothing. There is no response from the dead apart from life being breathed back into them. And, uh, and so apart from, uh, apart from Christ, we cannot be chosen lest we, we try to take any of that upon ourselves. Like, like being chosen, as we continue into, into verse five, we see also that we were adopted. He pre, he, in verse five, pardon me, in, in verse five, we get adopted and predestined. I'm going to hit on adopted first and, and bounce back to, to predestined. I'll explain why in just a moment. It's, it's not really for you. It's, it's for some other people I might share this with. Uh, in, in verse five, it says, uh, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And adoption becomes a, a beautiful picture of the gospel. And the gospel is a beautiful picture of adoption. Uh, I, I'm, I'm privileged to have uh, two, two nephews uh, and a niece. My wife's sister has two adopted children and, and my sister has an adopted son. And uh, when, you, when you think of them, sometimes I think we think of ourselves being brought into the, the heavenly family and it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around that we're not just a tag along, right? We're not just an, an add-on. Uh, I, I think of the example of you may have grown up with, or you may have seen it with your children. You may see it in your neighborhood now. That kid down the street who's always there, uh, like, and 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 if they're if they're smart, like I might have been, they're always there at dinner time. <laughs> and 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 over time, they just kind of become a part of the family. I mean, you're riding down the street, uh, headed somewhere, and you and you look in the rearview mirror, and and you maybe a head count. And you're like, what is what is Johnny doing here? Like, and and uh, they're they're just there. But there does come a time at the end of the day where it says. You know, we love you. We're, you're always welcome here, but you got to go home. That's where your bed is. Go, go sleep there. Right. And, and I think that sometimes when we start thinking of the, the heavenly family and being chosen and being adopted, that we can still kind of see ourselves as, as halfway in as, yeah, they, they feed me. 
Uh, they let me go along with them to different things, but I'm not really family. But this adoption, we're told that we have all the rights as heirs, all the rights of sonship. We're going to come to uh, uh, later the, the idea of an inheritance that is only given to the blood family or those that are grafted in as, as we are in, in Christ. Uh, this, this comes up again in, uh, verse 11, sort of, uh, sort of echoes verse five as you, as you scan down the page. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the, the counsel of his, his will. So we've got these, these verses working in together. It's not lest we think, oh, well, that just, that's verse five. Maybe that's not what he meant. He sort of doubled down, doubles down on it as he, as he goes, uh, along in his letter. So we're chosen and we're adopted. Why are we adopted? Verse 12 spells it out for us if we had any, any questions. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Certainly, I think in, in modern Western Christendom, there's a lot of talk of why salvation, why being chosen, why being adopted or even predestined would be for our good. But lest we ever forget that it's not just for our good, but primarily it's for his glory. And so this gathering of a people onto himself, and, and I love to teach it. We see it as, as cyclical from, from Genesis 1 to, to the end of, of Revelation, that God is gathering a people onto himself and his people are rebellious. And he gathers them again and there's, they rebel. And he gathers them again and they rebel. And then anecdotally, we, we sort of see that or a, a microcosm in our own lives and in our own spiritual walk. Just as God is reaching in and giving us lavishing gifts upon us, we, we wander off and do our own thing. And, and he brings us back. And this is a reminder that that cycle, that, that him bringing us back is always about his glory and it, and it is additionally for his good. We see that we're chosen. We see that we're adopted. I said I'd double back because verse five and verse 11 say predestined. Now, among the reformed community, this question, uh, th this word predestined doesn't even raise an eyebrow typically, I don't think, right? Uh, you, you may or may not know that I'm a, I'm a chaplain full-time in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So I, I work with uh, across many denominations and, and, and faiths even. And so I have a lot of very interesting conversations <laughs> about faith regularly. But, but I also see um, in, in some, I'm invited to preach in, in other churches and, and not all of them are reformed. And so when you come to a word like predestined, this, this would, like I say, this may seem completely foreign, but I've actually run up against people in conversation that say, oh, well, I don't believe in that whole predestination thing. And, and I sort of shudder at the thought, right? But, but I, I know where they're going with it and they don't mean that ordinarily because we can go to Ephesians 1 and say, okay, let's look through this. The word predestined is here. So if we're Christians, if we're Bible-believing people, we can't say we don't believe in that word, right? So let's at least be more precise with our language. This person is actually usually communicating to me a struggling with what that word means and how it, how it plays out in, in the Christian faith. Now, you and I come down that it comes out exactly like it, it says it does, that before the foundations of the earth, God was in the business of, of appointing who he was going to gather onto himself, who his people were, were going to be. I think the hardest part uh, for the for the person who's struggling with predestination is the the, the theological idea of, of double predestination. That if God predestines some to be saved, 
then inherently he predestines some not to be. And, and I get that. That's hard. We're not God in our, in our minds, our finite understanding. That doesn't necessarily make sense or, or in what we've crafted to be justice. Uh, we say that doesn't seem just, but that's, that's modeling, that's forming uh, the scriptures to us, not forming ourselves to, to what the scriptures say. That's actually probably putting ourselves in the place of God rather than putting ourselves in, in service to God. And without being trite or, or just, you know, brushing someone off when they come to that, the, the biggest thing that I'm reminded to say is the miracle is that a holy God chose anyone, not that he didn't choose some. Will you hear me on that? So that ought to be humbling to us to say that here, holy, set apart, um, completely sufficient unto himself. Another reason it flies in people's face is this sort of myth that's been uh, perpetuated that, that God created mankind because he was lonely. <laughs> and, and, and I assure you that the triune God of Genesis 1 was in no way lonely. Uh, and, and, and so if you can get away from that, that we're fulfilling something that was lacking in the God of the universe, it, it becomes a little easier to process and digest that it's his choice that matters regardless. But, but I still go back to this idea. The miracle is that God chose anyone, not that he didn't choose some. And so, I, you know, that may be a, an aside that you say, well, of course we, we get that. But, but it's, it's interesting as I read through something like this, how often I find, you know, pushback to that. But we believe that we're chosen, we're adopted, we're predestined. And again, we don't have to rest in Ephesians for that, right? Like Romans 10, uh, excuse me, the, the straw man, I meant to say that. So then if you get over sort of this double predestination, they say, well, what about the fact that that means you don't tell anyone about Jesus because you figure God just has already sorted it. This idea that suddenly we're not evangelistic as if um, we haven't read the, the Great Commission at the, at the end of Matthew that Jesus said to go and make disciples, right? Or, or as if we don't still read and believe it to be God's word in, in John 3.16 when it says, for God so loved the world. We, we believe that. These things don't uh, stand apart from, from one another. Or Romans 10, how will they know unless they hear, right? And how will they hear unless it's preached? And how will it be preached unless people are sent? And so we believe all of those things. The, the glory of believing that, that some are predestined before the foundations of the earth is that that means that our preaching is not in vain. If we go and share with our neighbors, there are neighbors out there that are chosen, adopted, predestined, and, and they need to hear and, and, and fulfill the, the great commission in their lives. And so the, again, the, 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 the great thing here is that God even lets us be a part of his mission to, to gather a people onto himself. Chosen, adopted, predestined, redeemed. Look at verse seven. <clears throat> In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. A side note on trespasses. I love the way your bulletin is ordered. And then when it says the Lord's prayer, uh, out to the side in parentheses, it said debts, debtors to remind you which way we're saying the Lord's prayers. I, I, I admit I'm a trespasser and a debtor, but when I visit a church, I'm not sure which one I am that day, right? According to the, uh, the local liturgy. And so thank you for, for clearing that up for me. But in our trespasses, we have redemption offered to us only in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a petty, um, 
analogy, if you will, or, or uh, example. But in, in New York, we're, we're keenly aware that for every, every uh, can or bottled soft drink that you drink, you, you loan <laughs> the government an extra five cents uh, per can. If you would like that nickel back, you have the opportunity by redeeming that can. It, you, you take it somewhere. Uh, we do the green bag thing where you take the whole bag and drop it off. And per can, you get your, you get your nickel back. You redeem those cans. My soft drink can was unloaned to me until, <laughs> until I brought it back and got my nickel back. There was a transaction that had to happen to bring lost souls into the presence of a holy God, to bring hopeless sinners into the presence of a holy God. And that could only be done through the perfect holy sacrifice, through the blood of Jesus. And so again, we can argue at sometimes, what does it mean to be chosen? Or what exactly does it mean by adopted or predestined? But when you start to figure in the bigness of the transaction, the bigness of the redemption, it's bigger than all of our arguments. That we're dealing with a holy God who saw fit to bring us into relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And what a miracle that is. Look at verse eight. According to the riches of his grace in verse seven, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You know, this is a verse, I think, in this um, passage that we could just kind of blow right through. Uh, that, that we could emphasize the forgiveness um, and his grace and go right through the fact that he made these things known to us. That knowledge is part of the spiritual blessings that, that we've received in Christ Jesus. That uh, I think often we hear people as they share testimony, and I'm not saying this is, this is wrong. Again, the heart of what they mean is, is usually spot on, but, but people talk about they found Jesus, they found religion, they found God. Well, as you compare world religions, one of the miracles of, of Christianity, of, of, of biblical Christianity, is that God is not hiding himself. God is not out there playing this cosmic game of hide and seek. And, and uh, you know, we, we get to count to 50 and then go search for him and, uh, and hope that it all turns out right. But, but rather, he is making himself known. He has revealed himself. I mean, we celebrate, and the world around us, with no idea of what they're celebrating, tends to celebrate at Christmas time. God become a man. Uh, you, you, uh, not, not to put myself in the place of God or knowing his mind for certain, but I can't imagine God being any more proactive in revealing himself than becoming a man. And, and we know that Jesus is the word. And we know that the scripture is the word, that all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it's not this mystery, but rather it's, it's right here. And I've had this argument. I can't prove it in scripture, but it's, it's a thought that I have. So forgive me, take every thought captive, run, run me out if, if this is wrong. Moses stood before the burning bush. And heard the voice of God in that bush that was on fire but not consumed. And I know many times I've faced a, a decision in life and I thought, man, I could go for a burning bush right now, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm not so sure, though, that Moses wouldn't trade one burning bush for 66 books of Revelation. 
I'm not saying that's a fact. Don't, don't run me out. But just a thought that I've had that we have a whole lot of, of revelation before us. And, uh, and we have to ask ourselves simply, what am I doing with the knowledge I have available to me? Um, meanwhile, while I'm praying for a burning bush, <laughs> have I, have I sought from the revelation that I have, uh, the, the answers that I'm looking for before asking for additional revelation? Confession. Ordinarily, I have not, right? And, and so that is this another cyclical reminder of rather than praying for a burning bush, why don't we pray for understanding? Pray for God to continue to reveal himself to me in his word. It, he tells us in verse eight that we're given wisdom and insight. And I think that we can never um, overestimate how much we've, we've been given there. As we move into to verses 11 and, and 14, we get this idea of an inheritance. And it, it's an inheritance that's commensurate with our adoption. And, and a lot of these kind of run over each other. I mean, part of our inheritance is, is the knowledge, is the redemption. Just being brought into the family, just being adopted is, is part of what we've inherited. Uh, we were talking before the service a little bit about the joy of knowing your Christian community. And certainly you have your, your local church fellowship here that is hopefully part of your cord of three strands or what, what uh, spurs you on to the good works that have been prepared for you in eternity past. But uh, also in the, in the Hudson Valley, uh, that's not a, um, I'm not trying to dance around this. I'm just not sure what the right way to say it is. It's not a particularly Christian part of the world. Is that fair to say? <laughs> and, and so when we find members of the Christian community, um, it's an extra blessing, I think. Like it stands out as to some places that, that you might live, you might have a larger gathering of saints and you, you would inevitably take that for granted as you had that. I think that there is some blessing here that, that when we are with the saints, we realize what a, a good thing we have. That's all part of, part of our inheritance, but the inheritance alone is, is something. Verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Jump down to verse 14. Who is the guarantee? This is the, the Holy Spirit is, is the, the precursor there. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so this inheritance is something that we have and it's something that we're waiting for. We, we have part of the inheritance in this Christian community, in the word of God, in our, our salvation, in our, our regeneration and justification, in this process of sanctification in, in which we live. But, but the completion of our inheritance is what we wait for uh, upon our death in Christ or the return of, of Christ when, when he makes all things new. And, and the, the glorification that, that's promised in scripture is all part of the inheritance that we, that we look toward. Now, I gave seven things that we're considering as these, as these we have every spiritual blessing, but not all are equal. <laughs> the, the seventh that I mentioned is the spiritual blessing of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I don't, you could draw this up any number of ways that all the other six flow out of the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is the foundation, uh, for, for the other six. Uh, but, but look at verse 13 nestled in there in between those inheritance verses that we looked at. In him, you also, that is in Christ, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
I love that picture of sealed. Uh, I come back to it again when we when we get into later chapters and it and it's talking more about the walking out your Christian life and and sort of what what uh, living in Christian community looks like that that we're sort of branded and we ought to walk according to our brand just like if you see a certain uh, automobile or motorcycle or tractor if that's your business with a brand on it you expect it to operate in a certain way and you may have biases to where one brand is better than the other and and you expect them to to go that way but that that ought to be in some way how we see ourselves certainly we don't uh, live in any particular way trying to earn this salvation, right? But out of gratitude for this seal that is put upon us, we ought to strive to live a certain way according to that seal that, that we might look like and be Christians in, in what we do. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is the, the everything of this. Verses three and, and 13 and 14 sort of, um, Book in this idea of every, every spiritual blessing in the, the heavenly places and, and the, the foundation of all of those blessings and that the hope of the, the blessings to come is always in the Holy Spirit. Now, admittedly, as we're trying to cover the whole chapter, I've given a lot more time and weight to the first 14 verses than I'm going to give to the, to the last nine, but I'm not, I'm not going to leave them out. If, if the first part of the chapter is that we have every spiritual blessing, I think the second part may be that we should be unceasingly thankful and prayerful for one another. And, and we see that maybe this is, um, maybe this is descriptive, not prescriptive, but, but I think it's both that Paul is saying, in light of all of these things, this is how I react. This is how I think of you. This is how I pray for you. This is how I'm thankful for you. And, and I think in such, he models for us how we, how we live together. And what are some of the things that, that we should pray for? We'll look at verses 15 through 18. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We should pray for wisdom and revelation. Going back to that idea that God has given us this spiritual blessing of knowledge, we should continue to pray to receive knowledge. And, and again, like I said, I don't think we have to pray for new revelation. I think we should pray that God would give us eyes to see what he's, what he's already given us. As we think about being unceasingly thankful and prayerful for one another, we pray for wisdom and revelation. We also should pray for hope in the resurrected Christ. Just a, a word of aside here before we read verses 19 and 20. Hope. Hope is a huge thing that we as Christian community have to offer to the world around us. And, and I know generation after generation have said this, but in such a time as this, in, in this moment, um, people are, I, it seems like everywhere I go, I hear discussions about, well, it's hard to find employees. It's hard to do this. It's hard to do that. There's all these different things. We're still uh, battling pieces of, of COVID and, 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 and it should be three to four years old at this point. And yet it's still a thing that many of us thought would be long, long past. And, and then there's, this increasing uh, political strife in our country and, and increasing uh, ec economic um, disparity. And, and, and there's all these different questions that lead most, you know, 
subway conversations, if you will, or water cooler conversations down a pretty negative path. I'm not saying that we got to be Pollyanna or, or wear uh, unduly rose-colored glasses, but I think it is a Christian thing, a Christian attribute to have hope, to be positive. Um, I, I tell people that that uh, our frequency changes in in Christianity. It's it's in some ways our highs aren't even as high as they would be without Christ. Because oh, that's crazy. I want to I want to say that my highs are higher than Christ, but really. In light of eternity, uh, whatever your highest imaginable is, whether it's wealth or power or, or fame, uh, you know, I believe as a believer, I could stand on the stage hoisting the Super Bowl trophy, which, which may be the pinnacle for, for people around the world. And it's not as big a deal for me. Don't get me wrong. I would enjoy it immensely. But it's not as big a deal for me in light of the fact that I'm going to be ushered into the kingdom of God one day. And similarly, when I find myself at the lowest point in this life, it's not as low as it could be because I know it's not going to be that way forever. In Christ, I have an eternity waiting for me in his kingdom. In his kingdom, where not only is there absence of sin, but there's absence of the ability to sin. And, and we get to live in that forever, not just a long life, but forever. We can't even wrap our minds around eternity. We should pray for hope in the resurrected Christ. Look at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Man, the God man, the incarnate God, Jesus came and become, became a man and dwelt among us. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of those that are his, that have been chosen, adopted, predestined before the foundations of the earth. There is no greater hope than that. And we have that. So even on our darkest day or our best day, we have something to offer those around us that's, that's better than either of those options. Finally, we should pray. This, this is going to sound like a, a Yogi Berra-ism maybe, but pray the church would be the church. <laughs> pray the church would be the body of Christ. Look at verses 21 through the end of the chapter. Far above all rule, this great benediction here, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is not just, uh, I don't know, it's not winsome uh, pep talk <laughs> that we have these spiritual blessings. But we have these spiritual blessings for a reason. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing to one another as, as we gather and encourage one another in the things that we face. And we've been blessed to be a blessing to a lost and dying world around us in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and everywhere we go in our community. I think those are some of the things that we can draw from Ephesians 1 that we have and some of how we should respond to those things. Let's pray together. Holy, holy God, what an amazing thing it is that you invite us into your presence. And you don't just invite us and leave us to, to make a way or to figure it out, but you have made the way for us. 
you as a holy God set apart, unapproachable, have, have made yourself approachable in Christ Jesus. As we said, you're not hidden, but you've just put yourself out there. And yet we struggle, we rebel, we run the other way. Father, I know that I'm a, a broken vessel, but your word, your word is not. Your word is solid. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in all of our hearts today. That none of us would fall into the trap of, of gathering here and just being hearers of your word. But Father, I pray that you would go before us, lead us into this day and into this week, that we would go and be doers of your word also. It's in the great name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.